So we are, as you will know, if you've been around, we are in a series um, that we call The Great Exchange. Uh, so we're saying Jesus' way is a whole lot different and a whole lot better than the ways of life and the ways of society that we um, are immersed in, if you like, in our everyday lives. So we've looked at swapping anxiety for um, peace. We've looked at swapping hurry for non-hurry. What are we swapping hurry for? What was that? Oh, slowing down. That's it. Yep. Thank you very much. I was here. I promise. I was listening. Um, and we're swapping isolation for community. Um, and we're saying, which of those ways are we living? Are we living in Jesus's way? And actually having all the blessing and the benefit and the, um, the fulfillment of, of living in the way that Jesus calls us to live. Um, this week, we're moving on to the topic of consumerism, um, which, have to say, feels slightly different maybe from the others, and maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit more subtle and a bit more of a challenge, I don't know, in that, you know, I think we, most of us will say, if we, ha if we suffer with anxiety, if you were here with me at the front last week going, God, this is something that I struggle with, being getting worried about stuff. Um, we kind of know that we want rid of anxiety, right? It's not a good thing. We know that. We're, we're happy to say that. Um, if we're hurried and stressed and busy in life, we probably are, are saying, yep, yeah, it'd be great to get rid of that. I know that it's not good for me. I know that um, it, it creates problems in life. If we're isolated, that's not nice. We know that. We want to be in community. We know that that's the answer. And we'd, we'd, we put our hand up to these things. But when it comes to something like consumerism and that kind of uh, insidious uh, way of life that we're immersed in, where we want stuff and we want lives to be full of all the good stuff and the good experiences that those around us are having and we want more of those things, we're, we're actually we're immersed in that, aren't we? And actually, in many ways, it's quite attractive. It's not something that automatically we're going, no, we need rid of that. Well, unless you're, you know, you might, be, you might be super spiritual and going, yeah, I know. Uh, I know I'm greedy. And I know that I need to move on from that. But actually, for a lot of us, that wouldn't be the case. And it's not such an obvious thing. I think it's quite subtle. I think it goes under the radar a lot of the time. But actually, God's word has an awful lot to say about it. And so, um, great that we're doing this this morning. I hope you'll agree that it's great. I hope you're praying in your hearts with me now that song that we've just sung, that we lay it all down before you. And that includes what we have. It includes our material resources, our money, our income, the stuff that we're able to, 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 to do stuff with in life. So it's a bit of a challenge. And so let's pray, actually. That's a good idea. Let's do that. Let's say... Lord, we, we, we do want to come before you, and we do want to, we, we want to pray that prayer that we've just sung, Lord, that, that we would lay it all down before you, Lord, and that includes this huge area of life which concerns our money and our possessions and, and the stuff that we have in life. Lord, we want, to, we want to be open to you this morning. We realize this is an area where it's not so obvious, maybe. It's not somewhere that we, we, we know automatically we, we want to change. 
In many ways, we're bought into the system, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that this morning you would speak in. I pray that you would provoke us. I pray that you would just drop things into our hearts, different ones. There'll be different things that different ones need to hear this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would change us. Lord, that we would be a people who look different from those around us. Lord, we've, we've prayed that over the previous weeks, Lord. We, 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 we want to do that great exchange that you offer to us, Lord Jesus. But Father, I pray that we would have that desire to, to, to do the great exchange in this area as well, that we might know contentment in you, Lord, rather than following this pattern of consumerism that is in the world around us. Amen. So, I started out looking at the definition of consumerism. Turned out that was a bit tricky. There's all sorts of definitions, and it wasn't the ones that I thought we were talking about. But the third one I came across, I think was the most relevant. And it said this, the practice of an increasing consumption of goods. I think that's the closest to what we're talking about this morning. So we're kind of talking about a pattern of behavior which says, I always want more. I want to keep keep having more things, more experiences, uh, more things that make life more comfortable and easier and more fulfilling. Because this is the, this, let's face it, this is the world that we live in, isn't it? That is all around us. That is the message that we're sold day in, day out, that we need more, that we need to grow, that, we, that there's more stuff that we need to make life work, to make life easier, to make life more pleasurable. And we're all drawn into that to different extents. And that is what we're talking about this morning. To help us unpick it, I want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is Paul's letter to Timothy, and this is what he has to say on the matter. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And then on to verse 17 which says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So I happened to be watching Andy Murray trying to win on Friday night just as I was finishing off this preach. Um, And I thought, this is interesting in the context of money. How much is the prize money at Wimbledon this year? And does anybody know the answer to this question? It's quite a lot, actually. If you win, you get 2.35 million. It's not bad, is it? Not bad. And do you know what? That has gone up by 17% this year. 17% in one year, that's amazing, isn't it? 
might become a tennis player. No, maybe it's a bit late. S, you should become a tennis player. But at the same time as the Wimbledon prize money was going up by 17%, food banks distributed 37% more in this last financial year than they did in the previous one. And that was way more than what they were doing in the pandemic even. So things in terms of need, a lot higher even than in the pandemic. And so this system that we're part of, that we're bought into, somewhere it's, it, it feels like it's not quite working, right? And I think God would have us wise up to this area in our own lives as well, because we're part of the system. And it's so easy to go along with that without even realizing what is happening. And so that is why, let's start with this, this, this thing that Paul says to Timothy. He says that the love of money, this craving for more things, this being brought into the system of always wanting more and for life to be full of nice things, it's a trap, he says. It's a snare. The desire for stuff is a snare to you, believers. And the word that he used there, it, it, it's a hidden, it, it, was a, it, it was a snare that was used to catch birds. So it was hidden, it couldn't be seen, but the bird got entrapped in it. And Paul says, money is like that. The love of money, the love of things is like that. And you see, it's subtle, isn't it? There's something, why is it a trap? Why is it more subtle than these other things that we are encouraged to exchange through this series? And I think there's something very deceptive about money. There's something very deceptive about stuff. It deceives us as to where our security really is, doesn't it? It deceives us about our identity, actually. You think, you see, if we become successful in the world's terms, if our income goes up, if we have more things, if our lifestyle gets better, we feel, like it or not, you might say, oh, no, but naturally, if we don't do anything about it, this is what happens. We feel like we've, we've made it. We've done quite well. We've been successful. We're, we're doing okay, thank you very much. And, and the, the, the subtle way this works is that we, think, we feel like we've done it, don't we? I mean, we're, we're all, we feel like we, we've made it. We, we did something good. But God would say, no, if you've been able to be successful in this life, that's only because I gave you a gift that you, and put you in a position that you were able to do it. Actually, it's down to him. But subtly and easily, it transfers to, oh yeah, we think we've made it. We've done really well. And so it becomes about what? It becomes about self-confidence, if you like. So I think money deceives us in that way. I think it also deceives us in terms of our righteousness before God. So interesting, isn't it? That How many times, if you've been in a small group or if you're a leader of any sort, how many times has someone come to you and said, I've got, I've, I'm really struggling with this issue in life, and it is greed. People don't tend to say that, do they? There's, there's lots of obvious sins. If you're, if you, if you, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with anxiety, these things are they're more obvious, right? What about if your thing is greed? It, 
it's pretty subtle, isn't it? You don't necessarily know. It gets hidden, right? It's deceptive. Paul says it's a, it's a trap. And I think we'd get deceived also about what we actually have. So the thing about money and stuff is that the more you have, the more you think you need. The more you have, the more you want. So luxuries become necessities, and the thing keeps moving on. And we feel like we should have the same as the people around us. And inevitably, in the bracket that we live in, there'll be some who are better off than us. And we think, oh, well, we could, why haven't we got, how do we compare with? And I think money and stuff deceives us, actually, that we, we probably generally have more than we think we have. Amen? And so I think there's a lot of subtlety, which is why, Paul says, this is a dangerous area for you, Christian. Paul's words, actually, compared with other things, Paul's words are pretty strong. He doesn't mess around. This leads to ruin and destruction, all kinds of evils, causes people to wander away from faith. Why is that? Because we think we're okay on our own. Causes people to be pierced with many pangs, with many pains. Why are Paul's words so strong? Why are Jesus' words on the topic so strong as well? Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard, Jesus says, against all kinds of greed. For sure, riches are uncertain. How many stories have we heard about people who retired, uh, saved up a whole lot for, for an amazing retirement and then died the next day or the next week? You hear those stories, don't you? It's uncertain, but riches are deceiving. On the topic of we think we, I, I think we always think that we have less than we actually have, Paul talks, doesn't he, in verse 17, to the rich in this present age. Let's be clear, Paul is talking to most of us, right? In the scheme of things, again, it's a good week for stats this week. If you've got enough food, if you've got decent clothes, if you live in, a, live in a house or a flat, if you've got a reasonably reliable means of transport, then you are in the top 15% of the world's wealthy. About 8% of the world's population live in extreme poverty, which means they live on less than about $2 a day. The median income in Burundi, where we're doing the offering for the houses, the median income in Burundi is about 30 times less than 30 times less than what it is in the UK. And that is, that is adjusted for purchasing power. In other words, it's adjusted according to what you can actually buy with the money. Less than 30 times median income. And I know we hear these kind of stats and probably they kind of wash over us because it's like, well, what am I supposed to do about that? This is where I live. This is why God's put me. But actually, Paul's words in verse 17 to the rich in this life, that is addressed to most of us. Now, don't hear me wrong. I know there are some people who are really struggling to make ends meet. And you don't have, you are absolutely stretched and struggling one day to the next. And I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to not recognize that. But I'm just saying for the majority of us, we are the people that Paul is speaking to here. So, 
We're immersed in a system. We are bombarded with messages day after day that say you, you need more for life to be fulfilling, for life to be easy. You need this experience, that experience. You need this gadget. That is the culture that we're, that, that we're immersed in. So what are we going to do about this trap? What are we going to do about this snare? How, as the people of God, are we going to make a great exchange when it's so subtle and it's probably in us? There's probably a bit of greed in us somewhere. We just got to identify it. And God says, I want you to, well, I think that's what God says this morning, actually, is I want you to have a, a good look around in your own life. I think we need to get it out on the table, this stuff, and talk about it and say, how are we doing with this? How are we doing with our, with our money and our stuff? But there's three, I think I've got time for three antidotes, okay? So if you think of consumerism or, or greed, if you like, as a, um, as a kind of disease that affects us all in many ways, I guess. Okay, so we're going to have three injections this morning, okay? All we remember that, not COVID, consumerism. But the first one, the first one is this, perspective. So Paul says we brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. He also says that by being generous to the rich, he says, by being generous, you can store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future so that you can take hold of that which is truly life. Amen? If you want to take hold, Paul says, of that which is truly life, then invest in the kingdom. Amen? That's what he says. That's the way to take hold of it, invest in it. Actually, we scrabble around in this little bit of life that is our current existence on this earth before we die, and then we get to spend eternity with Jesus in his kingdom on a new heavens and new earth. By the way, not, on a, not floating around on a cloud, renewed heavens and earth with stuff, yeah, stuff to enjoy, that's what we get for eternity. And we're scrabbling around in this little bit now where it's all very uncertain. And actually, where we're in a battle engaged for the kingdom to advance. And God says to us, if you want to grab hold of what is truly life, invest in my kingdom now. It's certain. It makes a massive difference. And by the way, you're actually storing. Can you believe this? It's crazy. You're storing up for yourself treasure in eternity. He, there's actually an incentive for us that appeals to our selfishness, weirdly. That, that's how the Bible is written. You can invest in Jesus' kingdom and store up for yourself a return. That, that's what it says, isn't it? It's amazing. There's this great little verse. I've never come across this verse before. You may be familiar with it. Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. So actually, you see, investing in the kingdom, the Bible says, is like a savings account. That actually you're lending to God, not to a bank. It's better than a, it's bad. And if you have a savings account, everybody knows interest rates go up. Rate doesn't go up. Funny that. Goes up on mortgages, doesn't go up on savings accounts. Topical. Let's stop there. But this is, a, this is a savings account that pays an amazing return in terms of kingdom multiplication, but also for ourselves, weirdly. But the Bible says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, 
Isn't that weird? You're not actually giving it away. You're lending it to God. And you can be sure that God has got your back. So if you need it sometime, he'll be happy to give it back to you, right? Giving away is like lending to God. That's what the Bible says. Amazing. We live in this short period of time as if it's peacetime, as if it's all just about enjoyment. Okay, that's a bit of a caricature. But people, we are at war. We are at war for the advance of the kingdom. The enemy does not want us to use our resources and the things that God's given us, our skills, our time. He doesn't want to use it. He doesn't want us to use it for the advance of Jesus' kingdom. But actually, there's a huge amount to be gained, both for ourselves, the Bible says, but also for Jesus' glory as we invest what we have in this short space of war, war-ridden time in this life. So we need to change our perspective, amen? We need to think about life differently. We need to think about this short life that we have now on earth. And we need to think about eternity. And what are we doing with what God has given us? How are we investing it? And you know what? I, I have known, that I, I'm aware, I've done, over the years, a lot of preaching on money, really. It was one of the topics that I always got given for some reason. And, and you know what? The weird thing is, because, and I think this is the culture and the, the environment that we find ourselves in, I come back to these scriptures and I find them incredibly challenging still. Because you kind of get, you just get kind of, um, what's the word? Sucked into the, yeah, to the world around. Because that's what everybody does. It's, but actually, we need to think about money. We need to think about the stuff that God gives us utterly differently to other people. Our lives should look different from others. The way we make decisions about what we do with our money should be utterly different from those around us. We're called, we are called to a great exchange in this area for the advance of the kingdom. But also, God says, it will, you, in, do, in doing, investing in this way, in giving away, in serving the poor, you will... You will grab hold of that which is truly life. So, keep those scriptures. Let them wash over you. The word is powerful. That's the thing that helps us to discern what is going on and whether we're fitting in with the culture around us and just hook, line, and sinker going along with it. That's your first injection. Other, other, other jab in the other shoulder we'll go for. Okay is, well, generosity. Actually, they're kind of all the same. So perspective, generosity. I haven't got time this morning to talk about the how much question or where, we, where should we be generous. On the how much, generally more than we think, I should think. Yet that can be the safe assumption, more than we're, more than we're comfortable with, more than we probably think we should, because that's the way the system works, right? In terms of where... Well, let's concentrate on things and people who are following Jesus so that his kingdom can be advanced. But please know, on the subject of being generous, what Paul is not saying here. He's not saying you have to live uh, like a hermit with nothing, with no stuff, in a little shed at the bottom of a garden. It, uh, I think sometimes, sometimes we can, look, we don't have to give, it's not like we have to give everything away, right? Right? 
Verse 17 says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Okay? So it's not like material stuff is bad. Actually, God wants to bless us. He wants us to enjoy the things that he's given to us. In many ways, that sets Christianity apart from other religions. Christianity is is very down to earth. It's material. But that means that God wants us to give an account of what we do with the stuff that he gives us. Yes, he wants us to enjoy, but also we're going to need to give an account for what we've done with the things that he's given us. He's very interested in this area. The Bible talks a lot more about money than something like prayer, for example. He's very interested in this area. And so it must be a priority for us to invest our time and our resources in his kingdom, in serving those who have less than we do. So that might be within the family here at Gateway. Love what... um, Esther just brought in terms of the part we have to play. The part, that, the part that some of us will have to play will be in being generous to other people within the family. Some of us, I believe, God gives plenty of money and resources to so that we can give it away, so that we can invest it. And for some people, that'll be their primary calling, actually, that they'll get a lot of money so that they can give it away, so that they can be a blessing in the body, but also further afield. And as a body... We talked about this with the finance update. Absolutely a priority for what we are to do with the resources that we have is to serve the material needs around us, is to serve our town. We did that with Gateway Furniture. We'll do it again in different ways in the future for sure. We'll do that in Burundi. It's a priority. Of course, the consumer mindset always says, what do I get back for my investment? And if you're giving away to somebody, do you know what? It might be wasted. You might give it away to an organization that goes wrong. The consumer mindset says, what am I getting from my investment? Is it? The Jesus mindset says, give to God, let him multiply, let him look after you, see what he does. Remarkably, he also says, you'll be rewarded. Right, third jab that we need. We need perspective. We need generosity. I don't know where we're going to put this one. Let's not go there. Third one is simplicity. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So there's something about us being content with the things that we need. We live in a society that says you always need more that your, your luxuries become your necessities, more, more. There's experiences that you need to have. The word of God says, if we have the, the things that we need, we will be content. Yes, God wants to bless us richly with things to, for us to enjoy, but actually we need to think about what God gives us differently. So we probably need to think, rather than what should I be giving away, we probably need to be thinking, what is it that I should keep out of what God gives me? Amen? And if God puts our income up and, our, uh, uh, and, and we do well in life and that, we succeed in life in that way, then probably it's not, this is, a, I love this quote, Randy Alcorn, classic. It's not to improve our standard of living, it's to improve our standard of giving. Isn't it great? Yeah. 
But think about your income like that. How do you think about what God gives you? Do you think about it in these terms? What is it that I need? What is it that I want to keep? What's reasonable? What's God given me to enjoy? And what is it that I need to invest in the kingdom and give away? We need to start thinking more in those terms. And by the way, can we encourage one another in this? Paul says, doesn't he? The rich, most of us in worldly terms, They're to do good, be rich in good works, be be generous and ready to share. How do we encourage one another? Well, Hebrews 10 says this, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So actually, we're involved in one another's lives in this. We need to actually be talking about this, right? We need to talk about money. We need to talk about how do we make these decisions with what we have. It's not an... Just like it's not an area we're very aware of our, our weakness, it's probably not an area we talk about very much. It's, it is, this is the way that it's subtle. This is the way I think this adds to it being a trap. Because actually we're not exposed to one another on it. The, thing, the very thing that the Bible says we're to do, which is to encourage one another in good deeds, we're probably not really doing in this area. So we need to ask one another, how is it that you make your decisions about what you give away? How is it that you decide what to keep? Right? C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books, great quote, can't do better than this. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. Sorry, what, what he means there is, I don't think we can set, there's no rule, okay? We've got to wrestle this through in our hearts, each of us. Where do, we, where do we land on this? What do we give away? What do we keep? I'm afraid the only safe rule, he says, is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities don't pinch us or hamper us, they're probably too small. There ought to be things that we would like to do and we cannot do because our giving away excludes them. Amen? C.S. Lewis, well said. So if... And look, the thing is, God wants people in all sectors of society, right? There will be rich and poor. The Bible accepts that. There will be rich Christians. There will be poor Christians. The thing is, if you're a rich Christian, if you have more, then you've got a responsibility to be strategic with that income, right? To think about it in kingdom terms. So so God will place people in all sectors of society, but probably within your income bracket, as a believer, you're probably going to be down the bottom end in terms of how you live, of your bracket, right? Just because of the choices. So our lives won't necessarily look the same as those around us. I think this one is Tim Keller. The more successful you are in worldly terms, so the more your income goes up, the more you do well in work or towards the end of life, you know, you've got saving, the, the more successful you are in worldly terms, the bigger the difference will be between how you could live and how you do live, right? The more you have, the more successful in worldly terms, the bigger should be the gap between how you could live and how you do live. These are huge challenges. But I think the thing I want to do this morning mainly is to kind of open up the question and open up the conversation 
and say, well, in our families, in our marriages, in our small groups, is there a conversation about this? How do we decide what to keep and what to give away? How do we decide what we need? How are we investing into Jesus' kingdom? Aware of the incredible promises that that will enable us to take hold of life. That actually will be richly rewarded in eternity, which is a heck of a lot longer than this bit of life here. I want to open up the question. I want to say, will you allow God's spirit in to challenge and to stir up and provoke on this subject? And I realize, you know, we're not going to change because of, st- of hearing statistics that we're doing well, that we've got more money than other people. That is not, I realize that is not going to motivate us to change. And do you know what? I think it's fundamentally, it comes down to faith. The reason we probably don't give away and are not generous and sharing with one another in biblical proportions is probably mainly fear, isn't it? Kaz alluded to it last week, I think, when she was talking about worry. Actually, we are, we are still trying to look up to make sure we're okay. We're worried. We think that's our responsibility. God says, that's not your responsibility. That's mine. I look after you. You decide what to do with the things that I give you for the good of my kingdom and for those around you. The way that we're going to be motivated in this is, that, is to understand how much God loves us, actually. To understand how, how comprehensive his care is. How amazing the way that he stewards our lives and protects us and blesses us and will be there for us when we need in every circumstance. If we really believed all the implications of Jesus' death on the cross for us, if he was prepared to go to that length, then what will he not do to look after us and to make sure we're okay, right? And I think we, it, it's at that level, it's allowing faith to rise up. I realize when I look in my own heart and say, what is it that I'm concerned about? What are the, what are the factors going through my head when I'm thinking, shall I give away this much? What, or could I go a bit further? It's actually, I want to I keep, keep things okay. I want to look, look after stuff. But, but God says, no, let me, let me do that. I'm very, very good. I'm very generous. I sent my son to die for you. Be free with the stuff that I've given you. I'll look after you. I've got your back. He's good at that, right? So we're going to celebrate communion together as our kids come in. Because I think, to be honest, the best, the best antidote to consumerism is to understanding how much we have in Christ to understanding how much God has done for us. Because that, that will free us up. If we really believe that God's got our back, then we'll be free and generous and willing to serve and to bless in more biblical proportions. Amen? So, shall we do that now? Is that okay? Does that fit? I'd love us to go away, have conversations, see what God provokes in you, But first of all, let's just receive fresh faith, knowing that the one who is in control of all things, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, has got your back. Amen? He sent his son to demonstrate it. And so we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. He's got us. But we need to be so convinced of that. So let's stand together. 
I'm going to pray, and then I'd love us to go and grab some communion, do it with your kids as they come back in. If there's an, listen, if there's an area where you know I, this, is a, this is a faith battle for me right now, I really need to trust God in this area, be brave, say that to the person that you're, that you're praying with and get them to pray for you. But this is about trusting God to take care of us. He's demonstrated it by sending his son to die on the cross. And we get to celebrate that now. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for being faithful to the Father's plan. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you would not stop at anything, that you would send your own son to die in our place, that we might have life, that we might have it in its fullness, that we might be provided for and blessed in every way possible and know eternity as part of your family. Lord, we thank you for this incredible gift that we celebrate this morning. And we pray, would you loosen, would you loosen our grip on the things of this world as we receive again your goodness and know how much we're loved by you? Pour out your spirit, Lord, as we celebrate what you have done, Lord Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, love to invite you to come and share communion, to pray for one another. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about what that looks like, what that means, but let's share communion together.